The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. There's so many of us that are new to each other, and I want to take a moment before we get into the Gospel of John today to explain why in our gathering we take a moment to read our scripture out loud. There are some church traditions where they do that on a regular basis. Actually, one of the church buildings that we were given over on Patterson Park actually had the stage built up to an elevated section of the stage where somebody could go to and have the scriptures read out loud from an elevated spot in the room. Any of you grew up in a church like that where the pulpit was elevated, like there was a place high above? Because anytime you read looking down on people, it's better, (laughs) right? That's the only reason why I could figure out why they did that. But, um, But there's, for us, what we're trying to figure out is the tension between um, what, what, what connects with us and what honors history? Like, what, is, what have people been doing and talking about the Lord um, for generations before us? Like, many times we act like as if we are the only ones that ever have followed Jesus. Like, we're the only ones going through the grind of life when we literally are following rich traditions of people that have been following after Christ. And so for us, you know, there, there's one verse, there's a lot of verses in the Bible, like hiding God's word in our hearts so that we won't sin against him, that we could use to make a case if we were doing a full teaching on why we read the scriptures out loud. But I've been drawn to the book of Revelations for my ex- example to you guys today. In Revelations chapter 1 and verse 3, John is writing, and I thought since we're going into John's gospel, we'd talk about John's revelation um, in this today. But in verse 3, it just says this, listen to this. It's so simple. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take heart what is written in it because the time is near. And so to me, being a simple pastor on many occasions, there's a correlation between us just sitting around and reading the scriptures out loud and then other people hearing it that then can bring maturity, can bring blessing, can bring life without anybody even having to preach a sermon. Some of you are like, could we try that for an entire Sunday? And the answer is yes. We're going to take some time. We're not announcing it this week, but we're going to be making an announcement where we are going to have some time, where we are going to take the Gospel of John, and we're going to have a set time of day where we're going to meet. And then we are just going to read it out loud from the first word to the last word, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to leave. We're going to have moments of that. I don't think that's going to be a Sunday morning. But if you show up one Sunday at, nine, at 10.30 and we're already gone, you might be like, mm, maybe they just read and left, all right? But uh, uh, hopefully that won't be the case. But So we take time in our gatherings to have the scriptures read out loud because we believe that that is something that God uses to bring understanding and awareness in life to us. And so with that, I'll invite our scripture reader up that's going to start reading for us in John chapter 1. Hello, everyone. My name is Sarah. Would you please join me in opening your Bibles to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. May God bless the reading of his word. A key passage that we're going to keep reflecting on pretty much every week. And if we go farther back in the letter, if you go to John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John is giving a summation at the end of everything that he's already written. And I think it's going to be really important for myself and other teachers as we go through this process that we make the people receiving John's letter seem real. Because if they seem real, then you and I are going to feel like this letter was written to, a, to people on purpose. And if there's an author to a group of people on purpose, then maybe you and I can find the value in it for where you and I are today in our faith and what we believe to be true about Jesus or what we don't believe to be true. But in John's letter, all right, and this is coming from a witness to Jesus. This is coming from a man that actually, uh, from a historical fact, spent time with Jesus And he's writing a letter during the early period of time after Jesus has already ascended into heaven. And he says this in John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples. Now, just stop there for a minute. I just wonder what they were. The mischievous side of me, the one that should be in gallery kids right now, starts to think if Jesus turned water into wine... Did he have moments with his disciples where he performed some fun things that aren't written about because they really had no significance other than the fact that Jesus turned on a candle, turned it off, turned on a candle, turned it off? I mean, like what stories could these disciples really have told us that many of us were like, could they not have written another letter of all the things that they wish they could have been inspired to write, but they didn't. They just were telling stories about the, the humor and the life and the joy of Jesus. But John goes to say, look, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, we've entitled this series, Finding Life. 
Because what I have gathered in my pastoring for nearly the last 12 years in Baltimore is that this is a city that you try to survive in, but many people don't describe themselves being abundantly alive here. There's not a lot of people that are going around with an incredible amount of joy all the time. There are some. Like, I've got some neighbors that have lived around me for a long time, and this one particular neighbor, I'll just for the sake for this morning call him George, um, he meets me in the alley periodically. He lets me park on his parking pad because he doesn't have a car when we have extra cars visiting our house. So George is a great neighbor to have, but he found out recently that I was a pastor, And he came up to me and apologized to me for all the things that he's ever said in my presence. (laughs) And I'm like, hey, you don't need to have a filter when you're talking to me. I'm normal. And he's like, well, I probably ought to cuss less. And I'm like, it's totally all right. You can say whatever you want around me. But he goes, let me just tell you this. Baltimore would take Jesus out of Jesus, is what he said. (laughs) You know, I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean, first century Jerusalem was pretty rough too, but... um, but when you think about it, we're in a city where it's many times there's a, a sense of, of let me connect to you, but let me connect to you until I feel like I'm competing with you or let me, let, let me get to know you so that I can feel how you can benefit me. But then there's also the, the stealing, killing, destroying side of our city that has almost become like, a rec- like the newsreel almost seems like it's a repeat of the day before and therefore we kind of get immune to it which is sad when there's so much brokenness that we kind of just hear it. But what I'm finding is is that John is writing a letter to us as well. And I believe that's the case because of some of the words in this introduction that is going to help us understand that the more that we become aware of Jesus, the more that you and I can find our faith, hope, and love rooted in Jesus, the more that we're going to be able to find ourselves weathering the relational storms, the job storms, the word storms, the, the violence that, 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 that encompasses our life. And so I love what N.T. Wright said as an introduction to the gospel. So I had it put on a slide for us, and I want you to read along with me. But this is what N.T. Wright said. Approaching John's gospel is a bit like arriving at a grand imposing house. Now, do you guys got that picture in your head? I'm not talking like just pulling up to somebody's row home here for a minute. I'm talking about pulling up to the house that is like, oh my, you know, where it just looks like it has a story. It looks like there's people that have lived there and made important decisions. But like you feel in this introduction, like you're on this driveway leading up. So he says this, approaching John's gospel is a bit like arriving at a grand imposing house. Many Bible readers know that this gospel is not quite like the others. They may have heard or begun to discover that it's, gotten, it's got hidden depths of meaning. According to one well-known saying, this book is like a pool that's safe for a child to paddle in, but deep enough for an elephant to swim in. But though it's imposing in its structure and ideas, it's not meant to scare you off. It's meant, it, it, it makes you welcome. Indeed, millions have found that. And as they come closer to this book, the friend above all friends is coming out to meet them. In this opening introduction, as Sarah was reading, the desire, spirit, prayer for me, for you, was that as she was ending that introduction in verse 18, you kind of felt like Jesus was stepping off the front porch saying, now let me walk with you as you learn about me. Now the problem for many of us is that We've become so academic in how we learn. We, we, we fail to connect emotionally to the fact that Jesus loves us and is desiring to have intimacy with us. I love this, 
grand idea of a driveway. I love this grand idea of a house. I love the idea of feeling like we're turning off a busy road and we're trying to find some peace and quiet to where we can do some discovery and learn some real truth because some of us in our faith are really confused. We want to know who the real Jesus is because there are a lot of people out there right now talking about Jesus. He's being used for political gains. He's being used for monetary gains. He's being used for religious gains all around the world. And people are like, wait a minute, who is Jesus Christ? What does it really mean to follow him? And are there anybody, is there anybody following him that's worth looking at? Because many of us in this room, we want an example. Like, it's great that we have the Bible. It's great that we have Jesus, and we believe in both. But yet we're looking for people that are like, who really is radiating in this world like Jesus Christ? So I love the way that this letter starts to welcome us. And if we're diligent, and even I know it's impossible to have perfect attendance, but through podcasting, through talking to each other in our growth community life, through interacting with the people that are sitting next to you, I want us to not miss a verse as we go through this letter together. Because this particular passage, even though it doesn't sound like the Christmas story, most Christmas carol events, most Christmas Eve services, most of the time when people go door to door to sing a Christmas carol, this is the Christmas passage that is read publicly to give light to the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's because it shows the full meaning of everything that he was and is and did in 18 verses. This chapter paints clearly the power of the God who created the universe, became flesh, and dwelt among us, and why. It just says it all right there for us to kind of go through. But the thing that I love about John is because he was well aware of his audience. He knew that they were both religious people, mostly Jewish, as well as pagan people that were going to have access to the words that he was writing. And even in these first 18 verses, I think he does an exceptional job of drawing them both in. These unforgettable opening words, in the beginning was the word. I mean, how many of you have heard that redundantly proclaimed over and over again through your faith life? In the beginning was the word. Where does that sound like, what, 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 what chapter and verse does that sound eerily familiar with? Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1. And so I believe that John is doing something very specific by calling Jesus the word, by referencing Genesis, um, by drawing in the language of light and darkness, which you're going to find in John's gospel. He's constantly contrasting things like light and darkness together over and over again to help people to see who Jesus Christ really was. But in the beginning, I believe, is a phrase that every person has ever had access to the Bible knows that it's Genesis chapter 1 in verse 1. And I believe here, by him calling God the word, he's saying in Genesis chapter 1, the climax of creation is the human made in God's image. Genesis chapter 1, the climax of it was you and me. I mean, you and I have the image of the creator God in us. We can form words and speak over darkness. Same thing God did, right? We have, the, we, have, we have the ability to show love. We have the ability to subdue the earth. We have the ability to do the things in the image of the God that created us. But in John chapter one, the climax is the arrival of a human being, the word becoming flesh. I love how John is talking about the great lengths of which the creator is coming to be in this with us. 
Let me say a few things about words, though, before we get into this. Words are very important. Can we get an agreement on that? I'm all for the fact that we live in a country, because I don't know what it's like to live in a country where I can't say what I'm thinking. But can we all agree that even though we have the freedom to say whatever we want to say, that words can hurt people? Can we agree on that? All right. I want us to understand that just because we have the ability with our Wherever words come from, I have a feeling that it's a combination of lungs, throat, something in our throat, and our tongue, right? It's a way that air is kind of brought in and brought out, and it makes words, and some people sound lower, some people sound higher, some people, well, it's just the way that we shape language comes out in these words, and it comes from us, and what we need to understand is that our words are important, and no matter how they are actually made, when you and I say something, there's a reason why people's response to us is, but you said. Think about this. How many times have you said something to somebody, and moments later, an hour later, a week later, somebody has come up to you and said, but you said you were going to, but you said, the reason is, is that our words matter. So if you say something, and I'm going to do it, for instance, if I say to my wife, I am going to clean up the dishes, go ahead and go to bed, but she wakes up in the morning, and she comes down, and she's finding the dishes are all still where they are, I guarantee you, I'll probably get more than a, but you said, in the next morning, correct? But our words are something that we should remain responsible for. That we should be responsible for them. And I love how John is calling Christ the Word. Which means that God is being 100% responsible for everything he says. Can you, can, you, can you grasp that just for a moment? I know that it's trying to bring the sounds that we make and the responsibility of all of that because words have the power to change our circumstances, don't they? Imagine the time that you heard from somebody, I love you. I mean, like the one that you, you knew that this love was different. It could be from a friend, it could be from a parent, it could be from a guy, it could be from a girl, it could be from a lot of different places, but somebody looked at you and you knew they meant it and they said, I loved you, and that has changed you. Think about the time that somebody has actually said to you, it's time to go. You're like, oh, okay, all right, I gotta, I gotta get ready. Well, no, we're, it's time to go. It's not time to get ready to go, it's time to go. You know, you find the conversation because somebody is saying to you with their words, look, we're late. We're going to be late. And you're driving me crazy if we're late, right? There's so much more power behind what we're saying. And then so many times, some of you even heard words as strong as this, but you walked into work one day and somebody spoke words to you that says you're fired. You're no longer needed here. You're no longer employed. Those words mean are powerful. They create things in your life, don't they? Words of I love you, words of it's time to go, words of you're fired, you're no longer working here. It changes your circumstances because words change things. And so John is saying to you and I and to the people of his day that God is changing things. He's creating. He's spoken and people are now going to have to hear it and respond to these words. So much of the Old Testament 
had regular impacts of the way God interacted with people through word. The Psalms are laced in it, but in Psalms chapter 33, verse 6, it says, by the word of the Lord, the heavens are made. In Isaiah 40, 6 through 8, it says, God's word is the one thing that will last even though people and plants wither and die. God's word will go out of his mouth and bring life, healing, hope to Israel and the whole creation, Isaiah 55. So John is drawing on this image that the word of God God is everlasting. The word of God brings power. The word of God can't be changed. The word of God is intentional, and it's now taking on flesh and dwelling amongst us. I also think that John would have known that this word wisdom in the Old Testament is also a word that revolved around words and the word. And there's so much in the Old Testament from the Torah being this word that encapsulated the power and the the words of God that was able to take the children of Israel through Moses to the edge of the promised land, but it wasn't necessarily enough to get Moses into the promised land. The words had power, the words were written, but yet where you and I are in our sinfulness, there, there, there needed to be more life to that. There was the presence of God in the temple in Jerusalem. So much of the background to the gospel of John is going to be laced in this idea that the word is present Torah, the temple, present in Jesus Christ. The words of God, the presence of God, the wisdom of God is present in Jesus Christ and it is there for people to see him. He's making a very strong case for that. But the idea of the word would also make some of his readers think of the ideas of pagan philosophers of his day. And some of you are better at some of the um, historic philosophers than I am, but a lot of the philosophers in the first century and leading up to Jesus had some form of word as a kind of principle of rationality, a lying deep within the cosmos that all humans had to connect with, somehow to get in touch with the principles. They said your life will find its true meaning. And I believe that John is making not just a claim to the Jewish people that were reading his letter, but he was making a claim to the, relig- to the pagan religious people because they still had faith in other gods. They weren't totally against God. They were just looking for God in other places. And he's saying to them, until you see Jesus, you're not going to have any idea what word you're looking for in the cosmos. Saying it's Jesus you're going to find. If you want to know who the true God is, look long and hard at Jesus Christ. That's what John is saying in this opening. I also love how in this particular chapter, he starts talking about this idea that Jesus brings light. Like in Genesis chapter one, Jesus is bringing light and the word is bringing into new creation, into God once more. And he's saying, let there be light. Jesus in John's gospel is showing up and casting light in dark places. Some of them are spiritually inside of us. Some of them were in the practices in humanity, the way that justice was supposed to be acted out between people. Jesus is casting light on, on social systems. He's casting light on the temple. He was casting light on the human heart. And he's casting light, and he's going around as the word, proclaiming, let there be light, and I want that light to shine in you. And so we have here in this introduction, I believe, John making an entire case for what his entire letter, I mean, it's like in his introduction, he's covering everything that he's going to talk about in the first 18 verses. Perhaps the most exciting thing about the Osteen passage, though, is that we're in it too. Verse 12 says, to anyone who did accept him, that means anyone at all, then and now, 
I love the opening of this letter is inclusive of you and I. We don't have to try to make it stretch. We don't have to try to see, let me try to be some sort of theological theological gymnast where I can come in and say, let me try to connect all the dots for you. Like like N.T. Wright said in the opening, this is a pool that a child can play in. They can get understanding from this, but you and I also can pursue the deepest of thoughts in God. We don't have to be born into a particular family or a particular part of the world, according to John in these opening verses. It is for everyone. God wants people from everywhere to be born in a new way, born into a family uh, for which God is beginning through Jesus Christ, and he wants it to spread throughout the whole world. John is saying, look, I, anyone can become a child of God because of the way God has come to take on flesh. Anyone can have access to him. But did you catch the random figure in John's introduction? It's like he's talking about Jesus, and then it was like there's this guy that just crashed Jesus' party, and then, he like, then it's not spoken of anymore, but we're going to talk more about him next week. But just imagine, like I talked about a moment ago, imagining John's gospel as like this big house, this imposing, grand, massive estate, and you're on the driveway, and next thing you know, you see somebody step to the side of the road, and you're like, oh, is this the guy that owns the house? And he just waves at you and then points. That person's in this opening chapter. We get to know him later as John the Baptist. But he played such a significant role in our faith that John includes him in the introduction when he's talking about the creator of the world coming and taking flesh. And so we're going to talk about why that's so important next week. But when we begin to see how John the Baptist stepped in proclaiming Christ and we see how prophecies were being fulfilled around that, I just want you guys, those of you that are seeking Jesus, you're not really sure yet that you believe in him. I want you to find in John the Baptist the source of a lot of your frustrations or questions about Jesus Christ. Because I believe John the Baptist in the role that he played is going to cast light, is going to cast some thoughts on things that are going to help you to see that Jesus really is what the Bible says he is. He really is what he's been proclaimed from the angels. He really is from the voice that was there at his baptism. It really is the same one that had him witnessed by 500 people in the book of Acts after his resurrection and people were seeing him and we're gonna begin to see that the doubts and the fears are designed to keep us in darkness. But yet Jesus has come to remove that darkness and to give us light. So much of this introduction has been around the fact that Jesus came and there were a group of people, predominantly Israel that day, where a lot of them had a hard time seeing Jesus as the Torah alive, as God's presence with them, because they were so tied to Torah and they were so tied to the temple, so tied to what they were in, they couldn't see clearly how much they were in the dark. And this is the thing that I really hope for us. When I say us, I'm talking about those of us in this room that do believe in Jesus already. This book is going to help us see where we are wanting to stay in darkness. I think a lot of times we think that we might just have parts of our life that are in darkness, but I think that if we let the Holy Spirit work in us through this letter, we're going to find that there are things in our faith that we absolutely want to hold on to, and then there are things that we're like, ah, I'm just glad I'm going to heaven, but I want to hold on to this in my life right now. I don't want to let it go. 
And John's going to make a case for letting things go because what he's going to say is, is when we hold on to that darkness, that darkness comes with a price and it comes with a bondage. It comes with a set of chains that he's saying, look, we need to let that go so that you and I can feel like what it's truly like to be abundantly alive in Jesus Christ. And so we don't have time to go through the rest of the book today. So here's how I think we should respond. I have uh, two, two, two predominant ways. And then I also want to say to parents, after we step into this invitation time and we start singing this first song, if you could just go ahead and get your children from Gallery Kids and bring them back down. We are slightly pinched for time upstairs again this week. So if you could do that. So here's how I think we can respond. I think we need to jump into the really hard stuff right away, okay? I'm just going to say it like it might be. Do we prefer darkness over light? Do we want Jesus so that we can live in light for all of eternity, but we love the darkness now? We used to call it fire insurance in the denomination that I grew up in. It's like, we don't want to go to hell, so we take Jesus, so we can spend eternity with him, but in the gap in between, we do whatever the, we want to do, right? We just do whatever, because we know grace covers it. John's gospel kind of speaks against the gap. Our belief now in life and eternity, in what we do with our life until Jesus comes back for us. So has Jesus been right here with us, but we're refusing to recognize him? So I just want to ask you today, can we sit in the last songs before we come to the table and just say, am I, am I allowing myself to be fully present in the light? The second question is, is if we're created in God's image, if we are so important to him that he would take on flesh and blood to come rescue us, we must be special. So I think, therefore, there must be something special for us to do. Our words and our lives matter. So my thought is, to all of us in here, do you feel special? Do you feel like as if when Jesus and the Father, at some point, I don't know how it worked out, but at some point, God said to Jesus, there's Mary, I'm gonna make you an egg and fertilize you inside of Mary. I mean, how'd that conversation go down? Like, because Jesus has even included in some of the Gospels that there are some mysteries that will be revealed later from him, and that only the Father knows this. And so there's some thoughts around this. And so where my brain goes, like my gallery kid brain, goes that what was the conversation like when Jesus and the Father and the Spirit were involved in this, and they're like, okay, it's time to go execute this plan. So you're going to get up out of that chair, son, and the Holy Spirit's going to go down there with you and put you inside of Mary, and you're going to live inside of her, a teenage girl, and then you're going to be birthed into a, a, a like, hey, and you're going to have animals around you greeting you. And Jesus is like, yay, let's go do that, right? That's what he's up there doing. I mean, but I'm sitting here thinking, how special must you and I be for Jesus to say, I'm going to get up from this place where I have everything I could ever dream of. I'm getting worshiped. I have all power. I have all authority. When I speak, I create. And now I'm going to come and become the most vulnerable of all human beings. I'm going to go into a woman's womb and I'm going to be born as a child. I'm going to become vulnerable to the world. How, how special are you and I? That that's what Jesus would do. Do you see how special you are to our Father in heaven? Do you see how his words over you can bring life? can bring joy to you, can take away loneliness, can take away bondage. 
That's what the Gospel of John is all about. So right now I'm going to invite our worship team to come back up on the stage and lead us through these closing songs. We're going to go to the Lord's table as a part of our response. And when you're ready, I want us to be able to come to that table and be able to remember that his body was broken for you and I and his blood was poured out for you and I, not because it's just the religious thing for us to do, but because that is no greater love. There's no greater love than that. There's no better way that you and I could have received love, be seen, and hear, I love you, than our Father being willing to do this for us. And so I want to encourage us as we come to the table that we come to the table and we're ready to just look at one another and be like, man, you are loved. You are special. So much of our response also needs to be a time of prayer. Because some of you in here right now, you don't feel loved and you might want somebody to pray for you. So we're gonna have some people with some prayer lanyards on that are around the room that you can come up to and they're gonna be able to invite you into a moment where you can you can say, look, this is where I'm struggling and this is where I need prayer. Um, and they can pray for you. There's moments where you will be able to walk up to them and be able to say, you know what, I wanna put my trust in Christ and they can pray for you as you walk into that. But we need to make sure that we are allowing ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit to know that this is personal. This wasn't just some random letter written to people a long time ago that has nothing to do with you. This is God saying, I am still in pursuit of you. I am still speaking truth over you. I am still present with you. And you and I need that just as much today as we ever have. And so let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you so much for the ways that your word came to be present with us. Father, I thank you that your word brings life, your word brings power, your word brings truth, and your word brings light into dark places. So, Father, would you continue to speak over us, let there be light, and that we would then be illuminated. Father, would you push back all darkness in us today? Father, I ask that your spirit would continue to show us what abundant life looks like as we begin to walk through the gospel of John together. And Father, we thank you for the Lord's table. We thank you for the great love and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask in Jesus's name as we come to the table that we would find in this sacred expression your words of love over us, but our task of how we love others until you return. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.